But I was just in that moment, albeit exhausted, albeit just like, what the heck just happened? I was amazed not only to see my child and have my child on me, but honestly, I was so proud of myself. Welcome to the Happy Home Birth Podcast, your source for positive natural childbirth stories and your community of support, education, and encouragement in all things home birth and motherhood. How do we respond to the unexpected? We know we can't control all of the circumstances of life, but What do we do when we're faced with new choices that must be made? Hey there, happy home birthers, and welcome to this week's episode of the Happy Home Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Fusco, and today we're speaking to my friend and home birth collective student, Leanne. Leanne will be sharing about her two birth experiences and how she and her husband, Colton, were able to navigate game time decision making in a way that led to a sense of pride and accomplishment. Okay, let's jump in. Please remember that the opinions of my guests may not necessarily reflect my own and vice versa. And the show is not medical advice, it's an educational tool. So continue to take empowered responsibility for your health and your family. Leanne, thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Oh yeah, I'm excited to be here, Caitlin. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. It is always so special to get to reconnect, especially with students. And inside of the Home Birth Collective, I feel like we just get to form these really true and deep relationships. So being able to have you on post-birth uh, <laughs> is, is so exciting for me. And to get to hear your story in its fullness is amazing. So before we get started with that story, would you mind taking just a second to introduce yourself and your family to the listeners? Yeah, definitely. So like Caitlin said, my name is Leanne McGriff. Um, I have a wonderful husband. His name is Colton. And um, we got married in 2019. And I would say six months into marriage, we found out we were pregnant with our first son. Um, and that's Luca. And he is, you guys, just awesome. It's so fun now because he's a little over two years old. So it's incredible how they just blossom into these wonderful humans. And then we just had our second son, Nelson, and he is now four months old. He was actually born on New Year's Day. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. New Year's Day. So he was right. My, I'm a New Year's Eve baby. So we were right there together. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, everyone was saying you want him to be born on New Year's Eve for tax purposes. But Nelson just said, you know what? I'm coming on New Year's Day, mama. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you will, and I will be a tax write-off next year. So don't even exactly. worry about it. Yeah, we're, we're, we're fine. My husband rolled his eyes at that anyway. So, Well, I don't know if you've heard my story, but that I was a C-section. So they chose my due date. Um, mm. Well, not my due date, but they chose when they were going to yeah. take me. And I, my my like estimated due date was January 16th. And jokingly, my dad was like, oh, what about a December 31st baby for a tax write-off? And the OB is like, oh, yeah, sure. That's great. Um, the NICU stay was probably a little more expensive. Yeah. Yeah, It just makes you cringe, you know? So silly. But anyway, well, I'm so excited to hear your story. Um, let's start at the beginning. So six months into marriage, you become pregnant with your first. What was that experience like for you guys? Yeah. I mean, we, and you know, I could be wrong with the six months that could be mom brain, but it was was six to eight months. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think we were super excited. So, um, my husband is four years younger than I am. And so I guess at the time I was 30 when we got married and we know that we would, you know, God willing love to have at least three kids, if not, you know, more, we, um, I have an uncle who has seven kids who has just been a marvelous, you know, example to me and my husband of what a large family can be. So that would be our hope at some point would maybe be to have how many ever God blesses us with. But, um, so we knew that we didn't want to just wait around for five years before we started trying. And so we were just sort of open to whatever the timeline was that the Lord had for us. Um, and so when we found out we were pumped, I'll never forget that day of just, you know, when you find out you have a positive pregnancy test, you're just overwhelmed with everything in the beginning, like incredible joy. And then also, what the heck? What does this mean for us? This is huge change. Um, so we were really, really excited. And I think that we knew that we wanted to um, be really thoughtful and intentional about what the whole, you know, pregnancy and birth looked like, which, um, yeah, kind of started us in a journey in terms of what we wanted our 
first child to be born like, mm-hmm. um, like that whole process was. And um, I'll just jump into kind of our backstory, uh, unless you have any other questions. No, the, go for it. Front end. Give me the backstory. Yeah. So I think uh, something that's pretty formative for Colton and my relationship um, has been us being willing to ask questions of why does healthcare function the way that it does. And Caitlin, I know I spoke to you when I was considering the Home Birth Collective about this because, um, yeah, years even before my, my husband and I had met, um, he had been over in England playing basketball and was playing and he'd always been a shooter. And suddenly he was, you know, not shooting the same. He was shooting air balls and his hands had gone numb and um, came home and they didn't really know what was going on and came home in between the seasons. So he was still, he needed to go back over to England. So he had this few week period to try to figure out what the heck was going on. And the final thing they tried, I mean, they were testing everything was like, Hey, we'll do a spinal tap to see if this is MS. Well, but we're pretty sure it's not. You're 23 years old. Um, and so he flew back over to England after that. And his dad said it was the hardest phone call he's ever made to call and say, Hey, they call me back and it is positive for multiple sclerosis. And so, you know, I think that was a, a a huge impact. I mean, he felt blessed that they caught it early because he was playing a contact sport that his first episode of having some numbness in his hands was probably felt sooner than most people would who were working a desk job. Um, but anyway, so he came back home and, you know, the doctor, the way that the doctor talked about, well, it's not a big deal. We'll just get you on these, you know, pharmaceuticals and even joked about how they were expensive, but don't worry, you won't have to pay that. Your insurance will cover it just sort of saying like, this is the only way to handle it kind of, I think threw up large question marks for my husband and his, his, his family, honestly. So they sought out alternative solutions for um, his MS diagnosis and actually went out to a doctor in California called Dr. McDougall. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people who've had success with MS and, and diet changes. Um, and so they made some pretty huge changes to their diet, but I mean, because of it, my husband has had zero relapses and, um, has not had to be on pharmaceuticals at all for MS. Uh, so we praise God for that. Um, and also praise God that it's made us say, Hey, you know, doctors, while often very well-intentioned are not God, they don't have the perfect answers. So I think it is, you know, up to us to always be considering what are all the options? What are all the things that are out there? And, um, why do we have a system that says this is what you have to do it? Right. Um, and so I think, Marrying Colton and knowing his story made me start asking those questions, which in a lot of ways is a blessing, but in a lot of ways, a little bit of a burden sometimes because you start realizing, whoa, like, why do we do it this way? Or, oh my gosh, like these outcomes happen because of these decisions that we're saying are the right decisions to make. Um, So all of that to say, it was a little bit of just a, a long story to get to the point of, you know, once I became pregnant. Um, I knew that I had to do more research, right? I couldn't just do the put on the blinders and say, hey, let's jump on the ride and go on the ride. Um, I needed to look into what that meant and what that meant in terms of how we would be relating to the hospital. So um, after doing a lot of research, I knew I wanted to do natural birth. And we had some friends who pointed us to a hospital here in town um, that had a team of midwives. And so for our first son, we worked with uh, this great group. They were just awesome. This team of midwives um, out in a hospital that's like not in the greatest part of town in Birmingham. And, but we didn't care because even though it was a bit of a drive, it was like, you know what, these are the people we feel most comfortable with. So um, yeah, so that was kind of how I came around to the decision to do that for our, our first pregnancy. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I like how you mentioned, you know, it's it's exciting to know what's going on, but it's also really heavy. And sometimes we <laughs> kind of brush by that once we've already like made all these connections and like, okay, everything that I thought I knew is wrong. Here's this new paradigm. Like we go on about it and then you kind of forget like, oh, that was actually <laughs> – very traumatic. Like it was actually mm-hmm. a lot of information that I, I had to completely shift around. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really great that you guys were able to do that as a couple, though, and walk into this first pregnancy really on the same page and really like, all right, we're we're going to make different decisions together, and we are excited about that and and supporting one another. Yeah. Um, so- well, and to jump in, I mean, we did, and I will say this: we did meet with when when we first 
found out I was pregnant. We met with one doctor and I think it was maybe my 12 week ultrasound, maybe the 20th. I had like a low line placenta. And so at that 20 week appointment, the doctor said to me, so you have like what looks like it could be placenta previa. And you know what? No worries. Don't freak out about it. We'll just schedule a C-section. And I left that appointment like, what are you talking about? Because at first I was like, oh, no, mom, I think I'm going to have to have a C-section at 20 weeks, right? I'm thinking this. And my husband and I started looking into it and, talk, and, it, and you know, learning as the, you know, uterus grows, basically the placenta will probably move up and the likelihood of it staying as low as it, it was at that time was very, you know, unlikely. And so here we felt like this hospital was already prepping us for this intervention that was unnecessary at this point in time for me to even be considering, right? And so at that point in time, we also started looking into doulas and we found an incredible doula here in Birmingham. Um, and she really gave us insight into the hospitals around town and what their C-section rates were. And the hospital we were at, believe it or not, had a 50% C-section rate. Oh my word. Yeah. So right after we found that out, we talked to Dahlia, our, our doula, about, you know, the hospital that had the 14, per, or I think at that time it was like 22% C-section rate. So, wow. and that was lo and behold, the hospital that had the group with three midwives. Hmm. So, Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So you decide to, to use this hospital with these midwives. What was that experience like for you guys? Yeah, well, I immediately noticed a change in care, right? I mean, we went from these quick appointments, being told that you have placenta previa and you need a C-section to, you know, these midwives who wanted to really invest in who you were and, you know, get the whole team. Um, And, you know, the whole pregnancy, praise God, was pretty easily for, I mean, went by pretty easily for me. Um, And then when it came to the actual birth of my first son, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, first births are always kind of crazy. and and no care is, is perfect. I think that we have to realize like we're living in a fallen world where like mistakes and, and everything are made. Right. And so I went in at, and, and I wasn't as knowledgeable as I think I am now, but, um, at 37 weeks and, um, when they checked me, they asked if I wanted one and I had waited up to that point. And I think, you know, curiosity got the best of me. And I said, yeah, like I would like to know. So she did a cervical check and I think I was like 70 or 80% effaced and one centimeter or something like that. Um, but what I assume, and this is all, you know, you can't ever confirm everything, but I'm pretty positive my membranes were accidentally sort of swept because a few days later I had a high water leak um, at home and I thought my, you know, water had just broken, but then no contraction started, right? So that was probably like 8 p.m. at night for this is the first birth for, for Luca. And then the next morning around 6 a.m., I told Colton, I said, you know, I haven't had any contractions start. I, you know, I was up reading all sorts of things and delving deep into blogs of what people had, how long can you go? And there's mixed information out there, of course. But I did tell him, I said, you know, I feel like he's not moving as much and that could be in my head, but let's call the hospital. So we called and they said, why don't you come on in at eight o'clock? Um, so I went on into the hospital and they put a heart monitor on and I think, um, they saw a couple of D cells, very minor. They said barely a blip and also their equipment was pretty terrible, but it kind of made me feel a little frightened. Um, and they said, you need to stay. So at this point, I mean, we had brought everything I needed to the hospital, but at this point I was, you know, there was a moment where Colton and I asked everyone to leave the room and we cried. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I, at this point I was being told I'm probably going to need to be induced because I'm not having contractions. And I had to release what my expectations were, which I didn't really say before, but my expectations were to go into labor at home, labor at home, go in, be five to seven centimeters or whatever. And, you know, have the baby at the hospital with the midwives and all was well. So here we were, and I wasn't going to have a chance to labor at home and do the things that I was hoping for, like get in the bathtub and um, listen to the music at home and dance with my husband and all the things that I was hoping for, for the first um, birth. And we had to let that go. We cried, we released it, we prayed about it. And so that night they did start me on like um, side attack and um, it was orally since my water had broken. Um, and I just remember that night when my husband fell asleep, it was probably 2 a.m. I got on that birthing ball, you guys. And, you know, 
here I am telling this on a podcast that's public, but I'm sitting there on the birthing ball and I'm trying to do nipple stimulation and I'm just praying. And I really did in some deep, deep prayers, feel the Lord like come to me that night. And I just got the chills. And within like, you know, the next two to four hours, call it the medicine, call the Holy Spirit, whatever my contractions did start. And when my first son, I labored for 36 hours and I ended up pushing for about seven and a half hours. Um, he had he had some forehead presentation um, that the seven hours of pushing, I think, was really pushing to where I was having to rearrange him as well. And he was kind of, you know, getting in the right position. And after the seven hours of pushing, um, and y'all will laugh, they had me for some reason on my back for, for a little bit. And at, very, at the very end, I was just so exhausted. And I... I it was like that primal mother moment. I said, I cannot be on my back anymore. And I just got up out of that bed. And, you know, our doula had us put a scarf around my husband and I just bared down on his shoulders. And there was still about an hour of that. Mm-hmm. But after that hour, I was finally able to just push Luca out. And he was pretty stunned. Um, but I was just in that moment, albeit exhausted, albeit just like, what the heck just happened? I was amazed not only to see my child and have my child on me. But honestly, I was so proud of myself. Um, It was that huge moment and going through the Home Birth Collective and learning about how when you become a mother, it truly is, you know, this rite of passage. I had never thought about it until I was in the Home Birth Collective about how becoming a mother is, is this whole life change. I mean, that might seem silly that I hadn't thought about that, but just this marked moment. Um, of change. And of course, you know, the weeks after that, you have postpartum crazy, but in that (laughs) moment, I was like, wow, like I did this and it was hard. And, um, but it was incredible. And I was amazed at my body. And I will say the one thing we were so thankful to be at the hospital we ended up at is any other hospital in town after 24 hours, I'm pretty sure the rule is we would have had a C-section. And even, um, the doctor on staff there came in and said, you know, had you had an epidural, there's no way you would have been able to kind of maneuver and push them out with a head forehead presentation. So we would have had a C-section. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not, I'm C-sections are necessary. Um, and I was never afraid of them. I think some, some people are really scared of them. Um, I knew if it was medically necessary, my heart would have been okay. I would have been at peace about it. But I also knew like in the birth process with Luca that it wasn't, I, I could just, the whole time I knew it wasn't necessary. And I'm just so glad we had a staff and a team that didn't try. They never even discussed it with me. Like, you know, they, they were there along for the ride and you guys, I wasn't quiet. So I think that staff heard me moan, deep moans, you know, primal moans for, you know, whatever. It was what, like 43 hours of that. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> no big deal. But that is, I mean, that is amazing. Like, and I mean, honestly, it's, it's sad in a way that that's like amazing, <laughs> like great, great on that hospital staff. Um, but it is like, you were doing what your body needed to have done mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you were r- releasing yourself into the experience. The fact that they supported you is amazing. It should be commonplace, but that is fantastic that they were along the ride with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, incredible. Okay. So that was your first birth experience. Um, what, what happened after we can talk about postpartum, we can talk about, we can jump into this next birth, whatever fits your family. Yeah. Well, despite it being such a long labor, you know, I was also amazed. I guess there was a lot of amazement going on, um, at how my body recovered. Um, and even my mom commented on that to some degree of how, you know, I think even though we certainly, I didn't have an an unmedicated birth, right? I mean, there had to be stuff to help with the induction and all that kind of stuff. And at the end, my body was so worn out. They did give me some Pitocin at the very end to just get me across the finish line. Um, But the recovery itself was pretty darn incredible um, that I could, you know, walk around and just all of it felt easy. I felt like I bounced back so quickly and was so present with my son um, post-birth. And so I was really thankful um, for that. And yeah, I mean, postpartum, I certainly experienced some postpartum anxiety. I think I got to the, I don't know that I rested enough. And we talked about that in the collective too, which I think was really helpful and some new information to me as well, that it's really important in those days following birth 
to take care of yourself, to really hone in and focus on you and baby and, and not trying to just be okay with seeing everybody. I certainly didn't go too far with the first one, but I didn't prioritize, uh, Hey, am I like really resting? Have I made a peaceful space for me? Um, I mean, my husband was incredible in terms of like taking care of me and my mom was so good. She came over and, um, stayed with us and helped. But, you know, I think there was definitely those things that I didn't just mark the change that now I have this child. And so weeks later I did have, and maybe this is normal, but certainly experienced more like postpartum anxiety um, after having Luca. Mm -hmm. But I do think that even with that, we were lucky that we bounced back from that. And even to this day, I have to, even with my second baby, I've experienced some of it, but now I think I have the tools and I'm equipped with being able to recognize when that anxiety comes on, I can say, Hey, okay, what is the good I can take from that moment of anxiety? It is be careful or pay attention or some of those things that maybe the anxiety induces that are positive, but all the negative, which is the fear and the, the images of, am I going to fall down the stairs and knock my baby's head into concrete floor or anything like that, that I would experience. I had to just say, that is not helpful to me. You know, that is not from you, God. We're going to release that part, take the good part, which is be careful, protect your child, but I'm not going to hold on to the anxiety part. That's making me fearful that I'm going to accidentally hurt my child or have a mistake or something like that. And that was, that was a process to get there. I had to say things out loud, right? I'm walking around the house thinking to see a knife on the counter. Is that going to fall and hit my child? Okay. No, that is not something I need to be focusing on. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, it's been something that's been on my mind a lot lately and with my daughter. So Janie, you know, she's six and a half right now. And Mm -hmm. she, especially as we're preparing for this birth, she has a lot of questions of like, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? And not just around birth, but just things in general. And one of the conversations that we've had lately, um, was the idea of, Hey, Janie, the, the enemy is a what if enemy. Mm -hmm. Like he speaks to us in what ifs. What if your mommy doesn't actually love you as much as she loves your other sister? Mm -hmm. Like what Mm -hmm. if, you know, all of these what ifs, like that is so the way the enemy gets into our head. But our father is a God of what is like, what is true? What is beautiful? What is noble, pure? That is, is our God. That is our father. And I feel like it was, I was actually talking to my midwife about that, about how I've been talking to her about this. And then I realized like, oh, I really needed that too. (laughs) Like I really Mm -hmm. need to be grounded and reminded in these what ifs versus what is. And oh my goodness for postpartum and postpartum anxiety. I think that that can be a really good lie detector test for us. Like where is this coming from? What is this thought? Who's who's bringing me this thought? How am I going to absorb it? Am I going to agree with something that is not from the Lord? No, I'm not going to do that. And just being able to kind of like detect it is is so helpful. So thanks for bringing that up. That's that's really beneficial. No, definitely. And I think it's more common. I think we don't talk about it. We sort of push it down and we try to deal with it and stuff like, you know, but it was helpful that I had an older sister who I was able to talk to about her experience with it as well. Um, and to just know that other people were experiencing that I think did help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we go through this postpartum phase and then you become pregnant again. What was that experience like? Yes. Well, I think we, we, we had gotten to a place where we were feeling comfortable and honestly, for me, I know this doesn't work for everyone, but breastfeeding was, was birth control for me. Um, and I'm hoping that that's working right now with the second one, <laughs> but with the first it did. And so we got to 14 months and I was starting to kind of slowly wean off Luca. Um, and yeah, we were just prayerful and saying, okay, God, you know, if, if there's another one along the way, we prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, prepare our bodies for, for that. So, uh, when, yeah, I became pregnant again, we were super pumped, uh, super excited and we went through this period and I will say this. So, and I didn't allude to this before, but in the first pregnancy, there were seeds of home birth planted in my mind, mostly by my husband. <laughs> he was like, well, have you thought about home birth? And we did actually meet with, um, 
a local home birth midwife here in town with the first one. And I loved her. I just was not comfortable with the idea at that point in time when it being my first birth. There were too many things that were unknown just being pregnant for the first time. But this time around, um, you know, when I found out I was pregnant, Colton said, hey, like, do you want to do homework for this? Do we want to do this? And he uh, tried to give me the space to just consider it myself. I will say, I do think he really wanted a home birth. (laughs) Are you thinking about that? Are you thinking about that? Um, And I think, you know, his reason for that is, is just knowing that when you're oftentimes in a hospital setting, things are suggested or things are done or things are, you kind of have to go in potentially with a fight versus listening to your intuition or listening to what is right for you. And he, I, I believe half of it was, was that he is, wanting that for me, for me not to be worried and concerned about all of those things. And then also peace of mind for him, knowing that we would be safe in our home and um, being able to make good decisions, obviously with a great team. And so we met with Lauren um, when I was pregnant with Luca, but at the time, like I said, I just wasn't ready for that. So the second time around, he kind of gave me the space to think about it. And I don't know if it was just fear or what, but, or if it was just that I had had a great experience the first time. Now, granted, there were some things that did go wrong with Luca's birth as well. There was probably, it was the whole labor process was probably 12 hours too long because we had a night nurse who didn't know what she was doing. And I was, all I needed to do is have a cervical lip push back for me to be able to go basically into pushing Luca out. So I probably had extended labor by about 12 hours. So that's a pretty, you know, pretty big mistake. And our, our, Dula even said it was one of those things that she felt like maybe she should have caught and said more and all that kind of stuff. And um, so she even said the second time around, she wanted to be able to work with us again to sort of redeem that because she felt like that was just something that she hated that happened with, with Luca, that I had such a long labor that probably could have been prevented. Anyway, so it wasn't a perfect birth. And so I think Colton thought, well, do you really want to be back in that hospital situation like that? But when it came down to it, I felt at peace at that point in time with working with the same team. I had enjoyed the midwives. I felt safe and I felt good about it. So that's what I said. I said, I want to do the second birth the same way we did the first. So we get going and I'm having my appointments and we're going and it seems like it's going great. And then one night I am laying in bed. It's like 10 p.m. Probably should have my screens and devices away, but I'm not. I'm looking at my phone. And on Facebook, this thing pops up from the OBGYN clinic that we were working with that said, hey, the Simon Williamson Clinic is going to be closing down. (laughs) And my heart was like, what? And I read on and it said basically that the hospital had been purchased by another hospital group in Florida. And their group was not basically producing enough money. I mean, they didn't put this in the post, but we drew conclusions. You know, I mean, they weren't doing many C-sections. So what money were, were they bringing the hospital? Yeah. Uh, and maybe that's my jaded, cynical take on it. But I, yeah, they they were being told that they were not going to be practicing in relation to the hospital. Now, granted, the hospital would still have a labor and delivery ward that you could have babies at the hospital, but the particular group of those midwives would no longer be associated with the hospital. My due date at the time, or well, was December 30th. And the note said all births after December 1st will not be able to be had with our group. So that night I just did not sleep very well. I was like, oh no, we have to make a change. Like, what are we going to do? And so we just prayed about it and we said, we're going to let this play out. We're going to ask good questions and we're going to make good informed decisions moving forward. So with that, I had about a three week period where I was looking into different OBGYN groups, um, asking friends that I knew were more natural minded, what, what they were wanting to do. And, um, I'd actually heard that the midwife, that I wanted that we had met with before that she was full, that I think that this closure of the clinic, the more natural minded midwife clinic had sent a lot of people contacting her. Well, I reached out to her and we had met with her before and I I felt just kindred to her. So I was really hoping that she would be able to see us and reached out to Lauren. And I think because I was right on the cusp at the end of December. So she thought, you know what? She'll probably end up having this baby in January she was able to take me. Mm -hmm. And whoa, I think that was the first sign. The first 
Colin and I have talked about this. There were so many things that were doors opened, right? Like, and that door opened. And so I said, you know what? Like, I think we've got to walk through that door, right? We've got to go there. Um, so we met with Lauren and I talked to her all about my hesitations, my concerns, all of that. And we came home after that first meeting and I said, okay, that's, that's what we need to do. Did I have a total peace about it? Yes. Between me and Colton. No, because I knew what this would do to family members who were really concerned about me, who thought that having a natural birth the first time was crazy. <laughs> you crazy I was that one girl. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Why would you do that? Why don't you just trust the hospital? They know what they're doing. Um, you know, and so I knew that my uphill battle was going to be a mental one, right? I knew in my heart that I had a piece that we were making the right decision. I loved our provider. Mm -hmm. I felt like she knew what was going on more than any doctor I'd ever or midwife even I had met with before. But the problem was going to be, and I knew this was going to be fighting the mental uphill battle of caring about what other people thought. Yeah. Specifically the ones who have a large draw or have a large influence on my mental capacity. Right. And that could be mothers, sisters, friends. And so I didn't know how private I needed to be about this, even though these are the people I usually process things with. So that became right. And that's, that's what kind of pointed me to doing the home birth collective was knowing that I felt confident in choosing home birth, but I didn't feel confident and being able to discuss it with the people that I wanted to discuss it with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So definitely brought that to the table and the group being able to join was so important because here were these women who were incredible who had different sets of, you know, ups and downs on their journey of home birth, but they were able to really encourage. And it was great to see week after week, you know, here are these beautiful, smart, intelligent women who are making the same decision that I am. I'm not crazy. You know, um, yeah. So that's kind of how we got, got to that point. I don't know if that's, you know, I feel like maybe I breezed over some of that, but yeah. yeah no, it's, well, it's beautiful. And I mean, it's, it's, it's something that I know other people relate to and it can be so hard when the people that we love the most and that we're the closest to, and like you said, they have great sway in our lives generally are really, you know, a lot of times it can be really adamantly against this decision. This is a very polarizing topic, choosing to give birth. And Mm -hmm. so we don't, I don't want anybody to kind of uh, diminish that intensity. Like that's a, it's a, it's a real thing. It's a real Mm -hmm. issue that some moms have to go through and work through. Um, Mm -hmm. And it does add quite a mindset piece, which in some ways I feel like it's – I'm not saying it's a good thing. It's not a good thing that we have to do it. But in some ways it is very fortifying to our motherhood and to our ability to think for ourselves and say, you know what? I hear you and I love you and I respect you. And also I am going to do this thing differently because this is what I know is is right for me. Um, So yeah, I know that was a, a, a part of your journey and I appreciate bringing that up just because Holy Ann, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not well, a common theme. Well, and it's so nuanced, right? I mean, I do think that if certain people would say, hey, sit down with your mom and watch the you know business of being born and then she'll get it. Well, I was like, well, you know, that doesn't work for everyone. Right. right. <laughs> and plus, I think like that just, I, you know, your own relationships. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think it made me wrestle a lot more with boundaries and choosing something and hearing out someone's concerns mm-hmm. um, and not wanting to just say, bite back and be like, well, you don't, I mean, did you really look at the information or have you really researched this? Or are you just saying like what you want to believe? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think it was a good journey to go on. Like you said, I think that I liked the way that when I was in the course, it reframed it as what you're doing to prepare for your birth is also preparing you for what kind of mother you're going to be. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's making decisions for your family that are right. 
Um, and I remember like when I went to talk to my mom about it, um, yeah, just writing her a letter and trying to explain that, like that this is the decision that's best for our family. Um, and hoping that she can understand that. Um, and in the end, you know, while I think she was hyper concerned as a mother who is, and it's, she even said this to me, this is only out of the place. She said, Leanne, here you are caring about this child that you're wanting to birth. She said, you're my child mm-hmm. and you're the one that I care so much about and can't imagine anything happening to you. And so, because in her mind, she was concerned that home birth equals, you know, Tragedy. death or something. Yep. Yeah. Tragedy. That's the best mm-hmm. way to say it. And so it was coming from such a heartfelt, kind place that I similar to the anxiety part, I needed to pull from that what was important. My mother loves me deeply. She cares for me deeply. And in turn, she's caring for this child deeply. All of her, the the part that was hard was learning how to separate her fears and not letting her fears become my fears and internalizing those. So huge. Oh, that's, that's such a good lesson. Uh, The reframing of things is just so Like, it's just so helpful. It's so, it's like, it's just, it's the stuff. It's like being able to hear what's going on, accept how somebody else feels, appreciating it for what it means, and then also making your own decisions. It's just, oh, it it allows those relationships to remain intact, I think. I think is the big thing. You know, when we can see where somebody's coming from, like, I see why you feel this way. And I so appreciate what that means about how you feel about me. And at the same time, I'm going to do this totally different thing <laughs> than what you want. I know. I know. Yeah. It's a lot. Oh, man. Okay. So that was that was a theme um, throughout your pregnancy. Was this pregnancy similar to the other in terms of like physically things things went well? Honestly, I even felt healthier this time around. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like my body knew what was happening. Um, and so I felt really healthy and good. And, you know, certainly had your ups and downs of energy. But in terms of sickness or anything like that, I it was great. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Maybe having little boys does that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I just joke because it's, you know, the old wives tell, right? That maybe it's, they make you less sick, but. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you get through this pregnancy. We're towards the end here. Um, how does it all unfold? Yeah. So um, leading up to it, I think those, and I will, I will put this in there. I think what was really cool about having to wrestle with all of this, it was a huge hurdle for me to overcome to think that two months before I have this baby, I have to make these major changes. I have to transfer my care and not only care from a group that I trusted and appreciated before um, to another group that I trusted and knew that I was just going to have a similar experience in a hospital, but changing to a whole new scenario of, mm-hmm. of being at home and doing those things. And, and like I said, I was, a large part of me was excited. I probably seemed like a schizophrenic to my husband because some moments I was like, I'm so excited. I can't wait. It's going to be so beautiful. And other moments I was like, why are we doing this? Oh my gosh. You know? Um, so I definitely wrestled with that. And that's why like your podcast and other things were so important because it was good to hear the stories that, especially of women who, and I love it when there are those mamas who just know home birth is right for me. And so many of the podcasts, are like that. And that's awesome. And that was encouraging to me to hear that confidence from those women. I hope it can be encouraging to those who feel in the depths of their soul that home birth is right. And it's like pulling them toward it, but they're wrestling with the narratives they've been told their whole life or, you know, the relationships that are in their life who might be against it to really listen to kind of where your heart is going and to follow that and to not be scared of where that takes you may take you to home birth. It may not, but to really not be afraid to walk down that path and consider all of those pieces, I think is really important. Um, so yeah, so leading up, that was kind of the whole thing. And I will say we did enjoy, and I know I mentioned it in class, but Jackie Mize's supernatural childbirth book, it's different for different people, but at the time it really resonated with where my heart was. And really my husband and I did spend time praying over what we wanted this birth to look like. And you know, one of those prayers was 
we pray because we had had such a long labor and pushing with Luca for this birth to be, you know, labor for like three to four hours and baby's here. We would pray that, you know, pretty much every other day we would sit and before we go to bed, we would pray these things and stand in agreement together and ask for these things. And um, we kind of laugh now and listeners will know by the end of the story why it's laugh. We also prayed that we would be in the right place at the right time to have this child. Um, and we just asked these things and we, we saw how they were fulfilled. So to jump into the story, um, (laughs) instead of just prefacing everything, basically it was, I was going past my due date. So my due date was the 30th, which once it came. And like I said, my mom was concerned about everything. Anyway, I was hoping not to go too far past my due date because I knew that that would cause stress and it was causing me stress, honestly, but I also knew that it's not unusual to go way past your due date, right? So I, I was wrestling again with like knowledge and situations and all of those sort of things. So on New Year's Day, I was really excited when I lost my mucus plug, <laughs> maybe TMI, but I was really, yeah, like, yes, okay, it's starting. We're getting something is moving, right? And that's kind of how it had been with my first birth. Once I had, you know, lost that, it it kind of things started moving. So I'd started having some night cramps for the last week. Um, but this day it seemed different all through the morning. I was having on and off kind of cramping all throughout the afternoon, mild cramping throughout the day. And, um, we, so we started thinking like, okay, so my husband's parents live at the lake about an hour away and they were going to watch our, our son Luca. And he was almost two at the time. So we were like, okay, well, do we need to have, you know, my parents come and, and pick up Luca and take him? And I was like, I don't know. These seem so mild. It just feels like, you know, little, little things. And, um, around 5 PM or around 4 PM, his sister did come and she was like, look, I'm going to the lake anyway. I'm just going to take Luca. So once we got Luca kind of settled and figured out, and it was just Colton and I here at the house, things really did pick up. It's kind of crazy how like certain things, our bodies are incredible and that they, they know, right? So once I knew Luca was safely at the lake and we were good, it was 5 p.m. My contractions really started to pick up to, to a point where I called and I'd been texting with my midwife all day, but I called her and I said, Hey, you know, these are probably 15 minutes apart. I know that's still really far apart. Um, and so I think she just thought it's not going to probably be until tomorrow. She recommended that I take a bath or she had said like, have a glass of wine find whatever it's going to be to relax. Right. Um, so I get into the bath probably around like five 30 and I look at Colton and I say, why don't you go pick up dinner? So he leaves. So it's just, you know, me here in the bathtub, which is a happy place for me. And Colton is off picking up, you know, our favorite Thai food or whatever. Mm-hmm. And while I'm in the bath thinking that this is going to relax me and slow everything down, I start using that app or I didn't even have it on my phone because we didn't use it before. So I download some app to track contractions and I start clicking the button. Right. And it starts, they start to get closer. And so by six, they're like six to eight minutes apart. And I'm like, okay, all right, this is still not a big deal. Colton gets back, you know, he's playing it cool or whatever. And I said, you know, these are getting a little more intense. Why don't you go I don't even want to eat. Why don't you just bring your dinner into the bathroom and just sit here with me, please? <laughs> and so by 6.30, the contractions are like anywhere from three to five minutes apart, about 30 seconds to 50 seconds long. And I'm texting, you know, our doula and midwife like, hey, these are getting close. The app is now telling me that we should go to the hospital if that was our plan. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know. And so... They both get on the phone with me and kind of listen as I have the contractions and, and they're both saying to me, you know, you seem pretty calm and, and all this. And at one point I did just say, you know what, I would like for the whole team to be here. <laughs> and that was probably around seven. I had said that. And so our doula was on her way. And so she probably got here around seven thirty. Um, and at this point in time, I'd gotten out of the bathtub. I was laying side lie laying in the bed and my husband had that little Theragun and was, you know, using it on my legs and I was getting through it. Um, Dolly Ardula, she got there. And at this point she is like, well, Hey, have you, you know, use the bathroom. And so I got up and I went to go use the restroom and I ended up just sitting, sitting there in that dilation station for probably <laughs> 30 minutes. And Dahlia actually said, you know, I thought maybe 
everything was slowing down because you were just so calm. And it actually was really cool. And I don't know if it was in the course we had talked about this or something I had listened to in your podcast or read. But when I was sitting there, I tried my hardest just to really focus in on what is my body actually doing right now. And it was that mindfulness where I sat there and just tried to feel what is this contraction actually doing. Mm -hmm. And it was awesome. So I would take these big breaths and it, I mean, it's not to say that it was painless, right? But I think when I was focused on the purpose, Mm -hmm. what is the purpose of this? It was, it was really neat. And I became calm and we had some great music playing and I sat there and I just believe that really pushed the whole process along because Nelson was just coming on down and I could feel my uterus working the way that it was supposed to be working. And there was that sense of kind of, you know, awe and Colton and I joke because this whole time, I don't think I opened my eyes for three or four straight hours. My eyes were just closed unless I had to like be led or walk somewhere. And it all kind of started there. So I finally get to a point where I'm like, okay, I should probably get off the toilet now. <laughs> it's time. And I and I laugh because with Luca, my first pregnancy, y'all, I did not love being on the toilet that much. And so instead, and I talked about this in the Home Birth Collective, I just peed all over my husband's hand, like with the first pregnancy. <laughs> there were multiple times, like he'd be trying to help. He'd be like, oh, I'll get like the little Chuck's pad. I'll put it there. I'll put it there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Colton, I'm so sorry. This is the worst thing ever. <laughs> But I am peeing but on this you right one, now. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I was like, this is a different level of closeness. Um, no, but anyway, so this time I'm like, okay, I, I'm going to go into the room and get, you know, I really wanted to listen to the worship music we had playing in a room. I'd set it up with, with twinkle lights and the room felt so relaxing. And so I got down on my like hands and knees and my doula was concerned that I was having to use a lot of effort because I was holding myself up with my arms. And so she was like, why don't you lean on the ball? Well, then I would try to lean on the ball and my arms kept falling asleep and it was driving, my hands were going numb and it was driving me crazy. So I said, I've got to stand up. So I put one leg up and as I try to stand up, that water breaks. And at this point, our midwife had arrived probably 10 minutes before this happens. And she got there, she did an initial heart rate check. Everything looked great. But when my water broke, um, they had me kind of go back down on all fours and there was a pretty major decel. And it was in that moment that she said, Hey, Leanne, why don't you turn onto your back? And so I thought, uh oh, she's directing me. I feel like, you know, that's pretty, she's all about letting you do what you need to do. And in that moment, she did listen on the back and the heart rate did come back up, but it was after about, on potentially like two minute diesel, um, into the like 60, it was between 60 and 80, I believe. And, um, so we're certainly concerned she felt, but there was no cord prolapse, but what she even has in her notes was that it was probably the, and tell me if I say this right, but the like occult prolapse or whatever. So it was probably kind of down on like the side of the head a little bit. And so there was pressure being put on the cord that was kind of causing some of these D cells. Um, I looked up at her and I had a sense of peace. I could see on her face and she was so awesome. She she kind of said, Hey, um, we've seen these hard D cells that is, you know, I'm not feeling core prolapse, but I do think it it would be good if we went ahead and transferred. Um, but she said, you know, if we make that decision, we need to go ahead and make it now. (laughs) And I didn't feel fear. I just knew, I think because all along we had been praying to be at the right place at the right time. And that maybe we, one part of me is like, didn't pray this into happening. Like, (laughs) but that's not the Lord. I think it was preparing my heart for the decision we had to make. And so we said, yep, let's go ahead. And so her assistant called 911 to have the ambulance come to the house. Um, And again, I was not freaking out. I was concerned, but I also had a sense of, of, Hey, we're making the right decisions. This is the right thing. So Lauren said, hey, why don't we move up to the front door so that when the team gets here, we're ready to go. And so I stand up and we walk up to the front, toward the front door. And I kid you not, maybe a month before my mom and I had gone to Scott's Antique Market in Atlanta and just bought a new rug in the front of our foyer. And Lauren is laying Chuck's pads down on that rug. And I said, oh, I can't lay on that. <laughs> 
I said, I can't lay down on that new rug. So I was still like with it enough to have a little sense of humor, right? <laughs> and so I lay myself down. I kid you not, like perpendicular to the front door. So the fire department is two minutes down the road. So when they show up first, they try to open the door like on top of me and I'm laying there blocking the front door. (laughs) And Lauren says, is this the EMT or is this the fire department? They're like, it's the fire department, ma'am. And she said, we're going to wait until the ambulance gets here. And he goes, well, can we at least get some information, ma'am? And I just said, my name is Leanne McGriff. And I like spit out my birthday. And I said, what else do you need to know? (laughs) (laughs) and she said sir she's fine but she is he said well how far along is she and lauren said she is ready to go like i was 10 centimeters like ready to go and the emt showed up and i don't know why i thought this was so funny but they got there and i'm laying on the floor and they're trying to think how are we going to get her onto the stretcher and they said well and i'm using my southern accent because We, we are in Alabama and they also were just, it's, you know, this is what it sounded like to me. I said, <laughs> well, we, we can get her on a sheet and hoist her up onto the, the stretcher. And I stood up and y'all I'm wearing a turtleneck, but nothing else. And I walk out my front door, bare bottomed, walk down those front steps. And we live in a neighborhood where, you know, the houses are pretty close together. So all my neighbors got, you know, a, a good show, I guess. And so we walked out the front door. I sat myself down on the stretcher and I just said, okay, we need to go. <laughs> there was so, hoisting today. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I, they put me into the ambulance and Lauren came with me because they didn't have any sort of like fetal heart rate monitor. And she looked at Colton and she said, we could have this baby in the ambulance. And so it'd be interesting to get his point of view from what he experienced. Um, I know he got in the car and um, tailed behind the ambulance the whole way to the hospital to the degree that once we got there, the ambulance driver reprimanded him and said, you can't drive that close to an ambulance. And he said, okay, thanks. Can I go inside now with my wife? (laughs) Um, But while we were on in the ambulance, I, again, continue to experience this overwhelming sense of peace. I had no urge to push. I had contractions, but I just knew again, my body wanted to be in the place it needed to be. And I was not going to have that child in an ambulance. Um, so the heart rate was perfect. Y'all that whole ambulance ride. It was great. Lauren said, we're having no D cells. Everything looks great. Um, I just felt like we were totally surrounded by angels and, Colton said in the car behind him or the car. And when he was in the car, he was calling his parents and my mom, but first called a good uh, friend of ours who has been a major mentor. I met her on an airplane and she has just prayed over our lives. And, you know, she just pointed to John 10, 10 and just that uh, God, you know, was with us essentially. And so the whole ride there, we were good. And then once we got there, um, Oh, I will say the EMT inside the ambulance was so funny when I ever at, he was probably 22 and something like that. And every time I would have a contraction, he said, ma'am, do you need to squeeze my hand? And I said, I said, I'm so sorry, but I'm trying my best to just stay relaxed. I'm just trying to stay relaxed (laughs) because I didn't want to tense up. We talked about it. I didn't want to know tensing. Um, So I just thought that was very funny. And he's probably going to kick the can down the road to have a baby himself because he was probably traumatized by me in the ambulance. Right. Um, but we got there, we got into the room and the minute we were in the room, they didn't even have a chance to do like a, a IV or whatever lock on me because Nelson was ready to come. So the second I got off that stretcher, I, I was trying to get up in the bed, but you guys, I couldn't even sit onto the hospital bed because I had that desire to push. And so I leaned over the edge of the bed, held on to, I think one hand was, holding my husband's one was our doula and pushed and pushed. And 20 minutes later at nine 45, Nelson was here and it was incredible. It was, yeah, I felt everything that I didn't necessarily feel the first time because I was so exhausted mm-hmm. and yeah, it was a wild ride. But in that moment, again, it was a overwhelming sense of being proud of just handling the situation in a way that, I felt strong and I felt 
despite maybe seeming that the situation was out of control, I felt totally in control and I trusted our team and they were in control. And yes, we had to have a transfer. And some people would call that like an unsuccessful home birth or even in the hospital. There was a few people who maybe disparagingly said, oh, they're trying to home birth. But to me, I had to, again, I said, I will not accept that narrative. The narrative is we had a successful home birth. There are situations where you have to transfer and you have to be ready for that. And I'm so thankful that I had a team that knew that that, you know, was the right decision. Once Nelson was here, he had, he, he came so quickly that he had a ton of fluid all up, all in him. It, there was nothing that really squished any of that fluid out. Mm-hmm. And so he did have to go to the NICU for a few hours to stay on oxygen. And Lauren, our midwife said, you know, who knows? You can't, there again, you can't try to say what it would have been like. Had the situation been similar at home, we might've been in a place where we would need to transfer the baby. And that could have been more traumatic for me if baby needed to transfer and then I needed to come after. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe everything fell into place the way that it needed to. And while I was there and they did have to take Nelson for those first few hours away, um, Lauren stayed with me and my mom got to the hospital and she, you guys was just so wonderful and so loving and, and honestly just, you know, supportive of the decisions we made. And she was thankful that we made the right ones for ourselves. But I will say what was really wonderful too. And this is just another point of how the connection between mother and child is once I was able to go into the NICU, the moment that Nelson was put onto my chest, his oxygen levels were perfect. Um, So we stayed back there for maybe an hour with him on my chest and it was so obvious that he was fine to go. Um, So we were able to have that night there and have our sweet Nelson with us. And he was, he was great. And it was, he was my fast and furious child. Again, we had prayed for it. And I just think having starting at home, having the opportunity to labor at home and be at home and be in that safe space, despite the transfer just made all of it so wonderful. I mean, some people are probably laughing like that girl transferred an ambulance to the hospital. How is it wonderful? But, you know, it really, again, because we surrounded ourselves with a team that was amazing because we had been intentional and thoughtful about the process. We had considered things that could happen. We were prepared for that. And also, you know, we just, it, it felt like a perfect blend of, I was trusting my body and we were thankful that there is the option for care. And that is how the hospital should be viewed, right? It is there for a reason. And we had a reason to be there um, in that in that moment. So I'm I'm thankful that I'm able to walk away from it having that point of view. Well, I am too, and I think that that's what is so important about all of this is it really comes down to us as mothers recognizing that we are in the seat of control, and. You know, sometimes we have to make choices. We're choosing between two things that we really don't want to choose between, but we're making the choice. And, you know, I'm sure your desire was not, oh, I want to go to the hospital. Like, that's definitely what I want out of this. No, but you were able to come from a place of peace of this is the choice that I want to make based on the information that I have. This is the choice that I want to make. And to be able to step with confidence out of your house into the ambulance, not be hoisted, (laughs) but to just step out and know like, all right, this is what I want. That's, that's amazing. Like we, we can sometimes get stuck in the dogma of, of home birth just as easily as people can get stuck in the dogma of hospital is, you know, the only way we've, there's got to be nuance there. And uh, it's just, it's, it's really empowering to hear a mom who did experience that moment where it was like a change, a change had to happen or a choice had to be made and you made it and you feel good about it. And here you are on the other side, proud of yourself and proud of the birth experience that you had. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I think that we were just sort of, again, in awe of just how it all happened. And um, <laughs> it's funny because my husband asked if you were going to probably ask the question, well, would you consider home birth again, despite the, the circumstances, right? 
And I do think that that's a question that, again, you're tempted to hesitate because it makes it seem like, oh my gosh, like did my decisions lead lead to this happening, right? But no, I mean, I think, and even my midwife asked like how I felt in that situation. And I think, what would I do if I was like pregnant right now? And I first and foremost know that I would like to work with the providers that I worked with, which is Lauren, our midwife. I mean, that type of care is different than any other care that I've ever received. It was to be able to go sit in her office little space. It's a cute little house and sit with her and really talk about the things that affect birth that most doctors do not talk to you about. How are you feeling about these things? You know, what are your fears? Where's your head at? Those things are so important. And, you know, at at first when I was at the hospital, I thought, you know, me ending up here, is this me not having conquered my fears? Am I here because I didn't really wrestle with those? Did I sort of make this happen? Like, because I had some fears about having a home birth. Um, but I had to, again, as we kind of said, a theme of this was I had to talk back at that mm-hmm. and I had to say, you know, this isn't an outcome necessarily because I was wrestling with those things. This is, this is the story. And, and if anything, it probably gives me more confidence for the future in terms of home birth, because there are the decisions that you have to make that are hard sometimes. Um, but oftentimes you don't have to make those decisions to go to the hospital and to think about having Nelson in my arms at home would have been beautiful. And, you know, maybe one day in the future that will be able to be to happen with another child. Yeah, absolutely. And how has this postpartum been? I'm curious to know. Yeah, I think, again, I mentioned in the Home Birth Collective, I really, the two things that I think stuck to me were first talking about our rites of passage uh, as a woman and how that's incredible that we have the ability to sort of have those rites of passage throughout our life. It's been able to help me see those things as honoring and good and beautiful and to be very uh, in awe of what it means to be a woman. And then the post, the other part from the Home Birth Collective that stood out to me was this idea of being thoughtful about your postpartum experience. And so I know we kind of talked about the five, five and five uh, in terms of spacing out your days after post-birth and, and who you see and what expectations you put on yourself. And because of that, I really feel like this postpartum has been great. Um, Those first five days to a week, we had family visit, but I felt empowered to say, I need to go take a nap. Like there was even one day my mother-in-law came over to help and I slept the whole time she was here. (laughs) And that's what I needed. Mm -hmm. I think with the first, I, I probably would have felt, oh, I need to make sure that she, you know, knows that I want to talk to her and I appreciate that she's here. But the second time I just thought, I'm glad Laurie's here and I'm just going to sleep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and those sorts of things were really great this postpartum. And I think because of that, my anxiety levels have not flared up, knock on wood. But I mean, there are certainly moments, but I also have the tools a little bit better now just to recognize when those feelings are coming um, and to be able to talk back to those. So I've been, it's been really fun. I mean, definitely having a second one in the mix has also been fun to see my older son really at first not know what to do with this little kid. And then now four months later to just love him so much. And also my four month old Nelson smiles the biggest when his little brother is looking at his face. (laughs) So yeah, it's really sweet to see what that's going to evolve into. And I'm just trying to cherish each and every day and all the little moments and soak all of those things in because it's, it's really beautiful. Mm, Those relationships are so amazing. I I feel like just watching my daughters together and the way that their relationship is formed over the years, the changes that have occurred and how they are now, it's just, that is one of the biggest blessings of motherhood. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's so special. So I love that you are cherishing those moments and enjoying all of this. And Leanne, this story is so powerful and and so helpful in so many aspects. Um, Mm -hmm. I am grateful to have been able to hear it in its fullness. Thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Definitely. And thanks for just creating a community where all stories around birth are told because it's encouraging. No matter what, I know that it was important to me to listen to a bunch of different birth stories leading up to having this second child. And I'm really grateful that you 
talked to so many different mothers who've had so many different experiences. Thanks, Leanne. What an encouraging story. As we head into today's episode roundup, here's what's coming to mind for me. Number one, Leanne and Colton were confident and excited in their decision to give birth at home from a logical standpoint. But this didn't mean that there weren't mental aspects that had to be considered and dealt with during the end of her second pregnancy. Leanne had loving, well-meaning family around her who were truly concerned for her decision to give birth at home. I loved how Leanne was able to consider the why behind the actions and feelings of the people closest to her. Now listen, not everyone is going to agree with your choices in birth, just as they won't for the rest of motherhood. It comes with the territory. But being able to pull the positive meaning from something without changing your own decisions is an incredible skill, and Leanne showed that quite gracefully. Number two, some of us know that we're home birthers well before we get pregnant. We're confident, we're on fire, we're ready to go. Now, on the other hand, some of us are more tentative. Maybe we see the benefits and accept them, and yet we still have aspects to work through. You are both welcome here. My prayer is that you'll gain courage and encouragement through these stories Yes, but even more so, my desire is to serve you on a deeper level by being able to work through preparation with you. Whether that's inside of Happy Home Birth Academy or the Home Birth Collective, my desire is to have you excitedly anticipating the experience that is to come. And finally, decision-making. My friends, I've said it before and I will say it again. We cannot control every outcome. We can, however, control our mindset. We can control how we make decisions. When we remember that we always have a choice and we get to make the choice that's best for us, even if it doesn't feel like a super fun choice, like transferring care to a new provider eight weeks before birth, or transporting to the hospital when we have extended fetal heart decelerations, we still get to decide what we're going to do. And when we can own that choice, We are able to maintain our agency in the situation. We can look back confidently on our choices and feel proud of what we did with the information that we had, just like Leanne and Colton. Okay, my friends, that's all I've got for you for this week. I'll see you back here next week when I share my home birth with my husband, Thomas. See you then. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Are you looking to extend the home birth support, encouragement, and education? Join us in our Facebook group, Happy Home Birth Podcast Community, and check us out on Instagram at Happy Home Birth Podcast.